Hello and good morning, Centerway Church. I'm Meredith. My husband, Claude, and I have the privilege of leading Centerway. We just love our church family so much and we love what God is doing here and I'm thrilled to be welcoming you today. Well, today is another opportunity to be in community and grow together, so we're really excited about that. Hello to everyone joining us live on Sunday or anytime later in the week and hello to any watch parties out there. For any guests joining us today, a very special welcome to you. We're so happy that you're spending this time with us. And to make it as smooth as possible, I'm just gonna take a couple minutes to share some information that will help you during your first visit with us. Just so you know, for the summer, we're mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there. So we hope to meet you face-to-face -face very soon. But for today, as you visit online, we trust you still feel at home here. If you have questions beyond what I cover, you can learn more about us on our website. If you're gathering live on Sunday though, there are a number of things you can do on the live platform. Platform. You can share your information with us, and if you do, we'll just simply follow up and get feedback from you. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. Now, during the gathering, if you have questions or would like prayer, just request prayer, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening anytime other than the live Sunday gathering, many of the things that I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after the gathering, or if you have questions, uh, if you have feedback, ideas, or you need prayer, please just email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, speaking of connecting, there are other ways to do just that throughout the week. You can find us on our social media, and you can also access the resources on our website. If you visit our website and choose the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They'll sing some songs and they'll hear a message that's just uh, for them from the same text that we adults hear from, but of course with kid-friendly content. So if you have kids in your home, it's an incredible way to be able to discuss the application and grow together. Also on that page are resources related to the messages, like images that you can put on your devices. There's um, links to the Spotify playlist for the series and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team uh, creates. They do such an incredible job with that devotional content. It takes you deeper into the text um, from Sundays. It's so life-giving and I really encourage you to check those out. In fact, if you would like to receive them directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe to them on the Next Steps page. Now, before we wrap up here, I'd like to remind everyone to check out the calendar page of the website for upcoming ways to gather. One of those is happening next Sunday, the 22nd, and that's an in-person Sunday gathering at Pinnacle. I am so ready to be with my church family again. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to see you there next week. And there's other things on the calendar page as well, so check that out. Um, but we're also very excited about today, and this is week eight of our summer breakthrough series. And just know that we continue to pray for breakthrough, and we know that there is something unique that God wants to do in your life today. So we're excited about that. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering. Jackie will be reading the scripture text for us. Then Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. And then I'll close out uh, the gathering today with some ways to respond in worship. Here's Jackie with the text for today. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jackie, and I'll be reading scripture for today. It can be found in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 through 19. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Kalno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? 
As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore the God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled, like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and his fruitful land the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away and the remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. Uh, today's message in particular is entitled Fairness. And um, there's actually a lot of stories I could kind of share with you in regard to the concept or topic of fairness. Um, the one that comes to mind the most readily involves my grandma Pilad, who is uh, still alive and well in her 90s, and she is still just a spitfire, constantly moving, always has something to do. Uh, all of my memories connected to her involve her asking us if we want anything to eat and always providing food. She's just that type of kind of uh, hospitality-driven person, just will not sit down during a meal, always wants to be serving people. Uh, in fact, one of the funnier stories going back to me and my wife uh, first uh, dating, I brought her over to my grandmother's house and I had told her before we went there, uh, listen, if you, if my grandmother asks you if you want some more food, you have to say yes, because it's just, it would be impolite if you said no. And uh, I could go into the whole story, but basically it involves my, <laughs> involves Meredith saying yes every time my grandma Pilad asked her if she wanted anything more to eat, which if you know her or understand the dynamic at all, it means that that she would feed her for the rest of her life <laughs> until she finally refuses something. And so finally I had a, enough of it because Meredith is sitting there like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And my grandmother's like, oh, you're such a good eater. Do you want anything else? She's like, sure. So <clears throat> I finally had mercy on her and told her that the whole thing was a joke. And then my grandmother was mad at me and it was hilarious. And then she married me. So she knew what she was getting into on so many levels. But in either case, um, one of the things that my grandmother made that um, I absolutely loved was her cheesecake. Now, I've been transparent with you, uh, if you've been a part of Centerway for any amount of time, with some of my vices, like, um, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups are straight from Jesus and they tempt me at every corner 
in the way that only Satan can tempt me. Um, so it's kind of an interesting dynamic. I also have a deep love and awkward relationship with Cherry Garcia ice cream. And the other vice of my life is cheesecake. Uh, typically just about any type of cheesecake. Of course, there's an echelon, as you can imagine, but uh, my grandmother's cheesecake, uh, I absolutely love. And growing up, I remember she would make it always in this square pan. And when we would come over and there was a cheesecake there, I was just elated. And I remember one time in particular, she had cut the cheesecake and she didn't quite cut it evenly. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know what I'm talking about. If, if there's something that you really like or something and, and somebody cuts it a little bit uneven, you're kind of eyeing up the piece that you want, you know, the one that's a little bit bigger or significantly bigger. And then she starts putting them on plates and I'm thinking, well, I'm going for the large one. Obviously, I'm going to get the largest one uh, because I am entitled to the largest one for no apparent reason other than I want it. And so I, I just, I remember it so vividly. It's like I can almost smell her home and everything. I went for that cheesecake. She goes, no, 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 honey, that, that one's not yours. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, uh, this is your piece. And I was like, why, why is that my piece? And, uh, and she said, well, because I, I already have it all cut out. And so, you know, it, it was something that she had made for my mother. I think it was because it was her birthday. Uh, I don't really remember the occasion, but basically she had cut it unevenly intentionally so my mom could get a larger piece and so that the adults could get larger pieces and obviously the kids get messed over. And so I began to declare how unfair that was. I mean, it was the injustice of a lifetime. That's not fair. Like I, I want the larger piece. She goes, honey, this is your piece. And now she has some turmoil because I don't know up until that point if she had ever said no to me in my life. And so she's kind of like looking at me like, oh, and I'm like, but, but Grandma, it's not fair. It's not fair. And so in this kind of amazing moment, she turned and looked at me and she said, whose cheesecake is this? And I was like, what? It's mine. She goes, no, the cheesecake, the pan, whose is this? I was like, uh, uh, yours. And she goes, right, it's mine. So I get to decide what's fair and who gets what piece. If you want, I can decide that you get no pieces. And I was like, whoa. Like this was a, this was a monumental moment because my grandmother functioned very much like most grandmas where it's like, listen, parents can be parents, but if you ask us, the answer is yes. But there was one, this was a unique moment. And, um, and she was just saying, no, it's not about fair. What would be fair is for you to take what it is I'm giving you because this is my cheesecake. And, uh, I was like, okay. She said, all right. And I said, yep, yeah, yep. And so then I thanked her and um, my mom, of course, thanked her. And, and I walked away completely contemplating this deep injustice. Like it still wasn't fair. Like I should have gotten the larger piece. And uh, the question I want to ask you today as we move into the text is this, why do we get obsessed with fairness? Why do we get obsessed with fairness? As humans, we all get obsessed with fairness because we are all obsessed with our own self-interest. Now, I know that that sounds kind of harsh right at the front end, but just bear with me in a moment for a moment. I find it interesting that you don't have to teach a child about fairness. In fact, before they even have the words, it's like they're fighting for fairness. It's funny, as a teenager, 
I would help with uh, with the church that I grew up in. We had a, a VBS, a vacation Bible school, and I was one of the helpers there. And I distinctly remember kids during snack time, my role was to kind of get the snacks ready that one particular year. And so I'm counting out a certain number of animal crackers. I don't remember what it was, five, 10, but in either case, there were these little white cups and I would count out the same amount and put them in every one. Well, as you can imagine, when you're stacking animal crackers in containers, some containers stack up a little bit and it, it looks like there's more in there or less. They were all the same. I counted them all out, but it was amazing when it was snack time, the kids would run up and they would kind of search quickly, almost like a panicked motion as other kids are grabbing ones and they're looking for whichever one they believe to be most full. And when kids would grab ones with less, they'd start to freak out like, this isn't fair, they got more. And I had to (laughs) tell them, listen, there's the same amount in all of them. No, 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 theirs is more full. This isn't fair, it isn't fair. And they would just start freaking out. I had to, on multiple occasions throughout the week-long VBS, have them empty out their animal crackers or whatever the snack was and have them count it right in front. Most times, they couldn't even count. It was like they were putting them up next to each other just to see if there were the same number in there. And then they would almost be like confused when it was like, oh, there are 10 in each or five or whatever the number was because it visibly looked like there was more in one or the other. It just seemed like it wasn't fair. It was their own self-interest at work, arguing for fairness. As a father, my kids, when they were younger, they would, they would look at the height of juice in cups when we would fill, out, when we'd fill up juice for them or, or whatever the, the drink would be. And I remember my kids distinctly getting kind of crouching down and getting level with the, the drinks and trying to evaluate which was more full so that they could benefit. You know, and if they ended up with what they viewed to be slightly less, it just simply wasn't fair and the world was coming unglued. You know, there's an embarrassing secret attached to all this that isn't quite so secret. And that's that as humans, we'll take more, but we don't want to settle for less. Isn't that interesting? Like unfairness in our benefit is fair. (laughs) But when we are the one that are like reaping the short end of the stick, when we get the less animal crackers, when we have less juice, when it seems like we're getting the smaller piece of cheesecake, then there's a great injustice. This is unfair. We can benefit, but we can never settle for less. It's just not fair. Here's the deal (laughs) that we really don't want to embarrass, that we don't want to admit, and that is super embarrassing. It's that we don't grow out of this. We don't grow out of this as humans. We as adults think in terms of fairness at every turn. Now, let me be clear, we get better at hiding it. (laughs) We get more articulate about expressing it, but even as adults, we are very, very much aware of what is fair and what is not fair. Nothing is more annoying in kind of the fairness awareness game, if you will, than when somebody seems to be breaking rules or cheating and are somehow getting ahead. Like that's even worse. It's one thing if you're kind of getting the short end of the stick because you didn't get there early enough or because it was somebody else's birthday, whatever, mom, (laughs) whatever it might be. But man, when somebody is just clearly blatantly breaking the rules or cheating in some way and they're getting ahead, oh, it is just infuriating. It's like doubly unfair or something. I mean, it is really not fair. In fact, when this happens in life, it's super easy to even turn to God if you have any type of relationship or awareness of who God is. 
as if he is the presiding parent in charge of fairness. And like children, we literally pitch a fit and declare what is or is not fair. God, why would they be getting ahead? This isn't fair. Do you know how wicked they are? I mean, come on, I'm a better person. And yet everything they do seems to turn to gold. That's not fair. That person's a dirtbag, God. Why do you seem to be blessing them, right? Because after all, we can get ahead, but others can't get ahead. That just wouldn't be fair. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, when we're benefiting, everything is absolutely right with the world. In those cases, we're, you know, hashtag blessed, right? You've heard that like, ah, man, I'm so blessed. Like, look at all the things I have. Let's put it on social media right away. But if other people are getting ahead, something is completely unfair and unjust in the world. Today's text is about something that seems unfair, and yet God is actually sovereignly at work. Verses 5 through 6 say this, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. This is God speaking. The rod of his anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, I send him, and against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. What? Why would, why would God send this nation of Assyria to go and benefit, to get plunder, to, to get ahead You see, against a godless nation, I will send him. Against a godless nation, God is saying, he is going to send the Assyrians. Which, in case you don't know, is a godless nation. So, God is using a godless nation to destroy a godless nation. The thing is, the godless nation he's talking about is the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, both Judah and Israel have broken their covenant with God. And so if you're Israel, then you've got to be saying, wait a second, God, that doesn't make sense. Like we initially had a covenant with you. We are God-fearing people. We're in disobedience, but I mean, we are definitely better than the Assyrians. Why would you send a truly godless nation like the Assyrians against us? Why would you allow them to punish us? They're even more wicked. That's not fair. That's not fair. That doesn't make sense, God. Where do you get off doing that? You see, compared to Assyria, Israel wasn't that bad. (laughs) That has to kind of sound familiar, right? Get this. The root of fairness is really comparison. That's the issue. That is the issue. It's an issue of comparison. We deal with like, listen, I mean, I know I'm not a perfect person, but I'm better than them. Shouldn't I be getting ahead? The root of fairness is really comparison. Our heart can become arrogant and entitled if we're not careful. That's what the end result is. We become arrogant and entitled. We deserve Listen, while Israel is caught up in this, we need to realize that verse 5 actually starts with, Woe to Assyria. The whole scripture text today begins with, Woe to Assyria. Assyria thinks that it's invincible, but it's being used to preserve a righteous remnant, as we'll see in the, this week and next week. Here's the takeaway. 
Assyria believes themselves to be powerful. And even in our modern words, hashtag blessed. <laughs> like everything they turn to, they win every battle and they continue to accumulate more plunder and they continue to just get more and more stuff at every turn and they become arrogant. It's two sides of the same destructive coin, as we'll see in just a moment. Verses 8 through 11 are arrogant statements of an Assyrian. And some commentators believe that the Assyrian is actually the king of Assyria. Regardless of whether or not it is, the point is this. They see no end to their potential domination. And so in those verses, you see two cities being compared, as we heard read earlier. These two pairs of cities that are listed, one is one that they have dominated, and the second one they mention is north of that south city that they've dominated. So basically what they're saying is, listen, if, if we've dominated this city, then we can certainly dominate the one north of that one. If we've dominated this one, then we can dominate that one. And they're kind of going through the list. They think that they'll continue their dominance because they believe that they're doing it under their own power. They think it's their own ability that's getting them ahead. To the outsider, it's simply not fair. It's simply not fair that this wicked nation would go through and, and just conquer these nations that used to be in covenant with God. Why would the wicked flourish and even appear to be blessed in all they do? Man, if you've lived life for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a tension that, that has got to not only be true then, but today as well. Like That's not fair. How do the wicked move forward in the world? Don't miss the dynamic. On one hand, there's one declaring that it isn't fair, that I'm not as bad as they are. Israel's saying, I'm not as bad as they are. Why would you send them to destroy us? I've earned better treatment. I deserve better. And on the other hand, we have one declaring that, they've, that what they've done has been on their own strength and their own ability. You see, it is two sides of the same coin that's rooted in arrogance and contingent upon comparison. Both of them are comparing and both of them are coming out with a level of arrogance. Either one saying what I deserve and the other one saying I got what I deserved. And so verse 12, we see an important text here. It says in verse 12, when the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. Wait, wait, what? Vengeance is the Lord's. That's what, that's what it's saying. It's saying, listen, there's something at work here that you don't understand. This is bigger than what you perceive to be fair. Let's remind you of something. That's that I am God and you are not. This is my cheesecake. I determine what is fair and what is not. I have a perspective that you do not have. And I don't always have to explain it to you. What's important is I know and I'm at work. The question is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Vengeance is the Lord. He will punish both Israel and Assyria in the end, both for their arrogance and rebellion against him. God will preserve only a remnant of those that have been faithful to him. So get this. 
survival is actually the indication of God's blessing. In this instance, survival is actually the indication of God's blessing, not what it is that Assyria has accumulated, not in comparison of Israel versus Assyria. No, no. Blessing equals survival. How does that apply to us today? How do we connect the dots? What does that mean to us in our tension for fairness? If your gauge of blessing is your ease of life, your comfort, or your accumulation of money, or your accumulation of stuff, if that indicates to you blessing, then you may get what you want and lose what actually matters. Let me say that one more time so it can sink in for a second. If your gauge of blessing is your ease of life, your comfort, or your accumulation of money or stuff, then you may actually get what you want and lose what actually matters. Let me read for, for a moment Mark 8.36 that might be familiar to you if you've been on a journey with us for Centerway for any amount of time here. We just got through Mark chapter 8. But Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can gain the whole world. You get all the stuff. You can accumulate it all. You can have the ease of life and comfort and then in the end, forfeit the only thing that actually matters. We can get so obsessed with fairness on the temporal that we miss what's actually happening eternally, what's actually on the line. It's a scary thought, right? That we can give our one and only life to something that is eternally insignificant. Think about that. Think about that just for a moment. The stuff that you have, the stuff that you want, the stuff you think you deserve, whatever it might be, whether it's relationships or actual items or finances, whatever it might be, a promotion, the college that you think you deserve or the sporting team you think you should be on, whatever the dynamic is that you're striving for. And think for a moment, that is eternally insignificant. Temporally, in this world, maybe it matters to you, your neighbors, your friends, whatever, but eternally, it's insignificant. It has no eternal weight to it. What are you living for? What are you giving your life for? Are you giving your life for the temporal or for the eternal? Are you getting just trapped into the mundane or do you see the bigger picture? So what is fair? What is fair then? If you're looking at this stuff and you're saying, wait, it might be eternally insignificant, then what is fair? What do we actually deserve? I want to tell you this. We Humanity, in our arrogance, actually deserve hell. We deserve hell. We're sinners. And sin separates us from God. And ultimately, that leads to hell. Listen, that would be fair. If you're obsessed with fair, <clears throat> that would be fair. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. If you really are concerned and hung up on fairness, that would be fair. That's what we deserve. What isn't fair is that someone would die a death that we actually deserve. That Jesus would lay down his life for you and for me. Someone without sin would pay the penalty for sin. Not because we're friends with him, not because we've earned it, 
but because he loved us while we were his enemy. What? That has to to rattle you at your core. Listen, the gospel itself is not fair. It's at the intersection of grace and mercy, us getting what it is that we don't deserve. Allow the gospel to break through this summer, to break through into your life. Allow that to break through, not not the pursuit of the temporal, not the striving for what is fair or what is in what you deserve or what you're entitled to or the rights that you have. No, allow the unfairness of the truth of the gospel to break through and readjust your perspective. Not what you can do, but what has been done for you. I love the way the Apostle Paul articulates this dynamic. In Galatians 6, 14, it says this. He says, But far be it from me to boast, to be arrogant, to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying, Let's correct our perspective here. If we're gonna if we're gonna boast about something, let's boast about what it is that not that we have done, but what has been done for us, that we can rest in the reality of what it is that God has done. You and I have been awarded grace. And 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 that's truly, if it's truly settled in our hearts and our minds, then our focus, it shouldn't be fairness in comparison, but rather that we be content in the finished work of the cross and be people of grace and mercy so that we can function with gratitude and humility, not arrogance. You see, we can't be arrogant in what it is that we did not bring about. When when we rest in the reality of someone else's work, that which Christ has done, it humbles us. It causes us to become grace-filled because we did nothing in and of ourselves to earn what it is that we have. It's all a gift from God. The breath in our lungs, any finances that we have, any type of provision, the food on our table, we pray and thank the Lord for his blessing because it's his work of grace and mercy towards us. And so we end every week asking what's required of us from the text. And I want us to, to leave asking ourselves this question, who will I extend grace to this week? Who will I extend grace to this week? Maybe for you, the the first person you have to consider extending grace to is actually yourself. God has paid the penalty for your sins, and yet you are functioning from a place of arrogance, and you are trying to earn everything and take credit for all of your life's work when the reality is your life itself is a gift from God. The fact that you woke up this morning, that you have the ability to hear or see this is a gift from God. And so maybe you have to start by surrendering your one and only life to the Lord. And if that's you out there and you want to acknowledge and accept the gift that has been given to you in the person and work of Jesus, it doesn't have to be a complicated prayer that you repeat. It's as simple as acknowledging, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died the death that I deserve. Would you forgive me for my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Some variation of that prayer will begin a relationship between you and the Lord. In fact, if you're joining us live, we'd love to talk to you about the next steps attached to that decision. You can click on request prayer and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts that'll explain the next steps as you move forward. If you're listening or watching this later, you can always reach out either via email or through our website. We'd love to talk to you about the decision that you made.
So it's not just kind of a momentary decision, but it's true life change. For others of us that have already crossed that line of salvation, have you considered what it looks like to, to look at extending grace maybe to yourself in a different dynamic? Maybe that is the person that needs an extension of grace from you today. So often we can beat ourselves up over our past and not let ourselves off the hook. We can think that the, the things that are happening in this life are more than just common uh, coincidences or even consequences, but in fact, it's, it's somehow an act of, of God being aggressive towards us because of what it is we won't forgive ourselves for. Today, Maybe you need to, to acknowledge that Jesus has done a work. He's forgiven you for your past. It's time to live in freedom. It's time to extend grace to yourself so that you can be everything that God has called you to be and you can live on mission. Maybe it does mean extending grace to someone that has wronged you. And you say, well, it's not fair if you knew what they did. But the gospel reorients our heart, tells us what it is that we have done. We are wicked. We deserve hell, and if God can extend grace and mercy to us, how dare we withhold grace and mercy to those that have offended us? And so maybe grace looks like forgiving someone, either to their face or maybe just in your own heart and mind to just let them off the hook. That seems so unfair. Yeah, but you're losing. You're being held back from the fullness of what God has for you because you refuse to extend grace to them. So who will you extend grace to this week? Maybe you live a life of keeping a short account. And to you, I want to challenge, what does it look like to be missional with that grace? To be a person that extends grace and mercy in the way that you maybe have spiritual conversations with others as they struggle through the, the rat race of fairness and, and declare what it is that they deserve, that you would be a voice of reason, giving them eternal perspective rather than temporal I don't know what the application looks like for you specifically today, but I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and direct you. In fact, I want to just lead us in a prayer as we all consider that. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We just declare ourselves available. We are grateful. We are grateful that we don't get what we deserve. God, we are so grateful that you have paid the price for our sin and that we can live a life in the fullness of your grace and mercy. And so we pray that we would be carriers of hope and people of grace and mercy, functioning not from arrogance, but from humility for your furtherance of your kingdom and for your uh, glory and even our joy. We ask all these things in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you next week. In fact, uh, we hope that you we can see you in person next week if you're available. Uh, otherwise, we will see you online at 7 p.m. Uh, next week. Until next week when we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. See you then. Thanks so much for joining us online this morning. As you consider the application of who will I extend grace to this week, you may need to remind yourself of all the ways that God has extended mercy and grace to you. So spend time each day giving God your worship and expressing gratefulness for what he's done in your life. Throughout the week, there are so many ways that you can worship. And singing is a great way to spend time worshiping. And so we encourage you to do that as well. Now, when we gather online, we typically will go live on Facebook and Instagram to sing together. We won't be doing that today, but if you visit our Facebook page, you'll find a set waiting for you so that we can still worship together. We are really, really looking forward to next Sunday when we can be in the same room worshiping together in person at 10 a.m. at Pinnacle. Uh, but for today, you can head on over to our Facebook page. We can't wait to worship together. 